Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. So AEW Full Gear was such a long pay-per-view, we have to zoom through the intro much like Excalibur does when he does the Dynamite Rampage upcoming shows. But thank you very much for joining me here on Ups and Downs. My name is Simon Miller. We're going to take the finger up power, give the hoods, and up the good bits and down. Hoi! So AEW Full Gear proper started with a flipping cage match. I don't mean the structure was like spinning around on its axis, and it is 2022 wrestling, and that could happen, but it was Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy, and I tell you this, they smashed it. There is no escape because it's pins and submissions only, and Jungle Boy was really smart here because he was like, hey, I've got speed, like Sonic the Hedgehog, I'm going to go really fast to try and take this guy down. But at one point, he was even using the steel as a platform and just hurling himself. Unfortunately, this is when Luchasaurus realized, wait a minute, I'm a dinosaur, he's a human male, I can absolutely kill him, and he did. Because he grabbed him and just lord darted him right into the steel, and of course, Jungle Boy was bleeding, then he just slammed him over and over and over again, to the point you were like, no, my kind, long-haired friend is being killed by this prehistoric creature. There's nothing we can do about it too, because we've seen Jurassic Park, and we know how that ends, and this is when I think Christian Cage realized, wait a minute, I'm related this building so I should go and get the key from the referee and I should open the door. Now he did do this and the official was like, Chris man, you've got to leave. But Luchasaurus was like, so woohoo, and he started throwing weapons in the ring. Now this is when it got absolutely nuts because not only did Jungle Boy hit like a destroyer off the chair, but then Luchasaurus grabbed him and chucked him right through it. And even I was like, ah, my back, and nothing even happened to me. But the best booking maybe of the entire night was that Jungle Boy kept getting up, and he was such a badass here, couldn't help but love him. It also led to him hitting a pile driver onto Luchasaurus. And listen to me, that is what he did when I watched it. Because Jungle Boy is not like a tiny person, but Luchasaurus is massive. This looked crazy. Certainly it was a terrible idea because this is when the T-Rex hit multiple tombstones. I, was like, I don't think I've ever seen that before. But once again, the boy from the jungle just wouldn't quit. The crowd then started to chant this was awesome and they were totally correct. So Jungle Boy's plan was, I know what I'll do. I'm going to 
hit this person with a chair so hard it was probably animal cruelty. I'm going to put him on a table. He then climbed to the top of the cage, as all wrestlers must do. He dave off. He hit this massive elbow through the wood. And he didn't, I was about to say, he got the one, two, three. No, he didn't. I'm cutting myself off. He didn't get the one, two, three. He logged on the snare trap, meaning Luchasaurus tapped out. So as we are clapping, bravo to both these guys, because I never thought it would end like that. Jungle Boy has real momentum right now. And if we give him a kick, he could probably become the All-Atlantic champion or the TNT champion. One day, the world champion. I mean it. This rocked. Okay, right, so you know how wrestling is all about moments and those little things that somehow speak to you on a personal level? Well, flub me sideways, what happened next? I won't get into it because who cares about my woes and my happiness and my own ups and downs, but the elite returned and they came out to carry on my wayward son by Kansas, which had long been rumoured, but I didn't think it was going to happen, and when it did, I tell you, I had water in my eye. But who cares? We cry for a reason. This was one of those entrances that will live with me forever. And of course, it did mean it was the elite versus the death triangle for the trio's championships. And all I can do is this. Ready? <laughs> right make horse noises with my mouth because there's no way anybody could recount this and do it justice because they did everything and in fact we got so much here that in the early going the crowd started to chant flub cm punk so we now live in a world where for years in the other company we were like yeah cm punk and now in the new cool like alternate company we chant that now all i'm going to say is this i do totally understand it but we must all remind ourselves that these are human beings that are in some kind of situation. And I just want everyone to be happy and peaches and cream. So I'm throwing it out there. Otherwise, Omega and Pac started and they were just going at breakneck speeds. And then Nick Jackson and Phoenix got in there and then Mac Jackson and Penta. And every single pair was just like, oh, ha, hey, oh, ha. I don't know how they do it. I mean, they weren't just making sound effects. They were doing wrestling moves. Every single thing was so damn good. It was even a series of kicks that made me go, wow. Doesn't make any sense because we're talking about toes here. When the Elite decided to upgrade them to super kicks. And then, of course, because it is 2022 wrestling, it was just dive, dive, dive. After Nick Jackson did his two, he took a sip of soda from someone in the crowd. And I think he even said, it better be diet. And I was like, that's not how it works, Nick. You can't steal somebody's drink and then hope it actually ticks all your boxes. And then the death triangle was doing all these drop kicks. And somehow, throughout all of this, Penta's nose was bleeding. I was like, yeah, I guess it would be. I just said Penta's nose, but I meant Pac's nose. I can't even keep up with nostrils during this thing. Because he went for a dive and Kenny Omega stopped him and threw him into the floor. And then we just had a bunch of other moves. Including, I swear, Nick Jackson doing CM Punk's running knee into the corner. Now, maybe I made this up. But I didn't. Omega was soon in there and he was doing his classic hits, but that never gets old because they're so damn good. And then Matt Jackson tagged in. He did a tornado DDT on Phoenix that ruined Phoenix's neck. When Nick and Penta went to the top rope and they did a super hurricane runner and they just took everybody else out. This is when Kenny also went for the V-trigger. But back reversed it into a German suplex. I mean, the gates. Death Triangle then did a triple tombstone. This became the biggest match of wrestling tennis you've ever seen because it was so back and forth. And somehow during all of this, Pac was able to hit the Black Arrow and get the Brutalizer on Kenneth Omega. This is when the Bucks made the save before the Lucha Brothers were like, oh yeah, so they did some more dives. And then I kind of came back into my room and realized I was on the floor. That's right. 
I just collapsed because I couldn't believe all of this was happening. I was then cracking up because Pac was walking around with the hammer at this point going, somebody use it, somebody use it. Like, no, we already use it, Pac. Would you shut up? When Kenny Omega was finally able to hit the V-trigger and the Tiger driver, but Phoenix was able to kick out, or maybe it was Penta, I can't remember. So much was happening, but the fans were chanting, fight forever. Now look, you don't mean that. You get to day 67, you'll be like, man, I've got a job, I've got family, I've got kids, but I get it. This was top draw stuff. The tag klaxon then went off, and I kid you not, these six just went into the wrestling playbook and set it on fire. When once again, Pac was trying to use that damn hammer. I mean, this really is long-term storytelling. He got smacked with a super kick instead, and that will teach him. Then, holy crap, did we tie into this narrative. Because the elite were winning. There's no two bits or ifs about it. That was gibberish that just came out of my mouth. But when Kenny Omega grabbed Phoenix in order to give him the one-winged angel, Pac gave him the hammer again and kind of looked at him like your grandma... And because Phoenix was up there and he cares about the trio's titles, he was like, well, I guess I have no choice. He taunted Kenny on the head, just to make it even better. Use the most devastating move in all the sports entertainment, the surprise roll-up. And he pinned him. And you have to listen to the crowd reaction to this. They audibly gasped. So Pac finally got this across and it was so good he should put it on his CV. And I never thought this match would end this way, but I thought it was so damn clever. Especially because later on in the show, Tony Schiavone went, oh hi, I've just been talking to Tony Khan. And this is now a best of seven series. I'm not sure I can take any more matches because this was so damn good. To the point, it doesn't just get it up. It gets a golden up. I mean, the entrance, the return, just how talented they are in the ring. This is what wrestling is all about. I did feel a little bit sorry for Nyla Rose versus Jay Cargill because they came out after this to have their TBS title match and there's nothing that they or anybody else could have done. The crowd was absolutely knackered because they'd shouted their lungs out. I actually thought these two did a damn good job. I mean, Nyla came out in a lowrider, whereas Jade came out dressed like Shatara from the Thundercats, so I was already into this. And otherwise, we did what we should have done. You've heard it once, you've heard it a thousand times. Big men slapping man meat. Of course, we do have to change this for obvious reasons, so I'm going to call this tanked women smacking lady lumps. Yeah, there you go. Almost straight away, Jade Cargill pump-kicked Nyla Rose over the Barry Barricade. I was like, yeah, that'll do it. I also attacked Kira Hogan at one point just because she was holding the TBS title and we know what her feelings towards that are. When they just started powering out of everything, including when Nyla Rose went for the Beast Bomb and Jade was like, no. They were then giving these meaty shots. I mean, they were properly laying into each other. When from nowhere, Cargill hit the Beast Bomb onto Nyla Rose and that was pretty good, but it only got a two. So Nyla was like, oh yeah, you want to go tit for tat? So she hit Jade for another here fall. And that was in for me. I was like, sign me up, I like it. Sadly though, Nyla then made that cardinal sin, where she was like, well, wait a minute. My strong maneuvers aren't working. Maybe I should go flippy-dippy-doo-dah 9,000. She climbed the ropes. She went for something. She totally missed. So Jade went, ha ha, hit her with the big boot. Hit her with the jaded. One, two, three. She's got her belt back. I really did like this too, because they just kicked each other's ass and they had a story. We invested in it. And sure, not every single week was perfect, but it was damn fun. Give it enough. And then we went right into our four-way for the Ring of Honor World Championship. I mean, what a silly show. So it was Brian Danielson versus Sammy Guevara versus Chris Jericho versus Claudio Castagnoli. 
And of course, this was good. I mean, it's much like the Elite match. They just went, oh, you want some moves? Well, we've got some moves. And we played off the fact that we had the Blackpool Combat Club taking on the Jericho Appreciation Society. I mean, the coolest part was after Brian and Claudio had cleared the field, they shook hands and then they started hitting each other. Although later on, Sammy Guevara and Chris Jericho got back in there. And because they're heels, they were kind of doing more villainous tactics, but you could just see what was coming. Because after they both did their pose, both went after Brian Danielson's eye, which is perfectly normal behavior. Sammy Guevara hit a super hurricane runner. He hit a standing Spanish fly. I mean, you can say whatever you want about the guy, but he's so damn talented. When Claudio returned, he went for a springboard something, went right into a code breaker by Chris Jericho, and the ref went one, and the ref went two, and who stopped this and broke it up? That's right, it was Sam. Chris sold this like his mum had betrayed him too. I mean, it really was such a good moment. So, of course, they started to fight when Guevara actually hit the code breaker onto Jericho and he got a near fall too. And I was like, here we go. He also tried for the walls of Jericho, but that was dumb because Chris has been doing that for years so he was able to reverse it, which is when Brian Danielson zoomed in there. Then there was just like this octopus submission thing. I mean, everybody had a hold on everybody else. Jericho took the brunt of this, so Sammy Guevara was then back to help him. But as soon as he got his buddy on his feet, he dropped him with the GTH and he went to the top and he hit the shooting star press. And this was such a good false finish because Chris Jericho kicked out of two. I mean, this was so well put together. Sammy also did another shooting star press to the floor because he's crazy and Claudio hit this amazing springboard cutter. But this all came to a climax when Claudio cast a Noli was rocking and rolling. I mean, he had Sammy Guevara and he was giving him the big swing when Chris Jericho, 51, 52 year old Chris Jericho, just came flying in with this jumping Judas effect. Now, the commentators went, oh, he didn't get it like intended. Who cares? It looked so damn good. And then Claudio got back to his feet. So Chris Jericho gave him another one and he pinned him to retain his championship. Now, once again, I haven't given you a half of this because we have so much to talk about, but it was just so entertaining. I had a smile on my face the entire time. Make me look like a psychopath. Get it Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Before we go any further, though, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses. They can be 
big life worries or just, you know, little things like your favorite wrestler not being used properly. The thing is, when we keep them bottled up, it really can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It is really helpful too for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Therapy basically empowers you to be the best version of yourself. So why not give better help a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash whatculture today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash whatculture. And we carry that on because next up, talk about emotion, it was Soraya taking on Britt Baker. I mean, what are we meant to do? Now, we have all forgotten how hard wrestling is because the greats make it look so easy. But here you have someone that not only has to try and live up to that, but is also coming back from an injury where she was told you will never wrestle again. So I don't even know how she went out there and did this, but fair play to Sarai, fair play to Britt Baker, they totally smashed it. We also had some fun, if that's the right word, I suppose, because after Britt Baker had floored Soraya for the first time, the referee kind of checked on her and Soraya was all like, ha, 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 don't worry about it. I can't lie. Whole time, I was like her parent. I was like, please, please be okay. I don't want to see it. Baker then fired back with a neck breaker on the floor, though. And I think you can understand the severity of that, given all the names involved. And also applied a flipping cravat. So her whole offense was focused on this area. And what's the last area you want to see Soraya attacked in? This one. This continued until Britt was running her mouth too much. So Soraya grabbed her and threw her into the ring apron, which is the hardest part of the ring. She followed up with a crossbody, which is when they just started to unload on each other. And I still couldn't believe it. Like, I couldn't believe it. I remember when all this went down and was like, oh my gosh, poor Soraya, what's happened? Now in 2022, I mean, anything is possible. Soraya soon hit the nightcap, spelt K-N-I-G-H-T, because that is her real last name, when she got locked in the locked door, but was able to get to the ropes. That's when Baker busted out an air raid crash. So once again, I was doing this. The mega wincing came, though, when Britt hit the curb stomp. Because, again, it was the curb stomp. Just so wibbly-wobbly. They were then mucking around on the ropes, and Soraya was able to turn that into a sunset bomb, which was really cool, and follow up with the fisherman driver, which is her finishing move. But amazingly, Britt Baker was able to kick out when I was like, wait a minute. I think Soraya's going to win. They were then trading for the most devastating move in all of sports entertainment, so I was happy when we got a ripcord, another big knee for Soraya for another near fall. And somehow throughout all of this, Britt Baker hit the curb stop again, but Soraya was able to kick out. And I bit on that one. I thought it was going to be the finish. Maybe it should have been. I think Soraya realised this as well because she got back to her feet and she hit one fisherman driver and she hit another one. And because this had basically been a total three of her finishing moves, she covered Britt Baker she won the match. You could just see on her face how happy she was. So was all of the fans. And once again, this is what wrestling is all about. Hitting you right in the tum-tum. Getting it up. I was then stunned. Stunned. More for me. Because when we were doing the full gear predictions for the TNT title match between powerhouse Hobbs, Samoa Joe and Wardlow, at no time did I predict Samoa Joe to win. Guess what happened? You haven't figured it out. You weren't listening. Because, yep, he did get the victory. Otherwise, this was just hilarious. I know we've already talked about it, but this was the definition of big men 
<laughs> slapping man me. I mean, it was just you do a move, I'll do a move, you do a move, I'll do a move. Then Wardlow does a dive because he's absolutely insane. I had the best time. Early on too, Hobbs was just flattening people and throwing them around. And I tell you, he has got so good over the last few years, his future is very bright. When, yeah, Wardlow did that twisting dive to get back into this and hit a senton, when Samoa Joe was like, well, anything you can do, I can do better. So he hit a senton too. Joe then got rid of Ward and he raked powerhouse Will Hobbs right in the eyes. And when Wardlow ran back in there, Samoa Joe just slammed him. This was when I was like, oh yeah, Samoa Joe is the best. All guys were then taking hits when Joe decided he would do a dive and he was going to powerbomb Wardlow, which is when Hobbs came back with this massive pounce. And that was so funny because he killed everyone and genuinely laughed. He also hit this huge spine buster for Do. But when he wasn't able to do that, Warlow decided, I'm done, I'm bored, I need to go home. He hit one powerbomb, he hit two powerbomb. When Samoa Joe saw this and was like, well, no, I don't want this to happen. This is terrible. He took the TNT title, he smacked Wardlow right in the head, and of course, Powerhouse had just taken two of Wardlow's finishers. Samoa Joe was like, alright, he locked in the Kikita clutch, Hobbs was totally dead. Samoa Joe won. He is now a double champion too, so let's just unify these belts and be done with it. And look what we can do coming out the other side. You can do Joe versus Hobbs, and you can do Joe versus Wardlow. This was also a good way to get the belt off Wardlow without him losing. There's another round of applause, and it's getting it up. Quick backstage skit next that will zoom through for obvious reasons, but basically, come Dynamite, it's going to be Ishii versus Chris Jericho for the Ring of Honor World title. And we're going to get Jake Hagar taking on Orange Cassidy for the All-Atlantic title. Also, you should go watch this. It was very funny. Jake Hager made jokes about his hat. I liked it. Okay, now look. Given time constraints, I mean, my camera just turned off by saying, oh, you've been recording for too long. We're going to have to just speed up a bit, which kind of works for what did come next, because it was Jay Lethal and Jeff Jarrett taking on Sting and Darby Allen, And all four of these guys knew exactly what they had to do. I tell you. This was absolutely fabulous. I mean, Jeff Jarrett is so good for his age, and I mean that as a compliment. Jay Lethal is always good. Darby Allen totally understands his character. And Sting, Sting is 62 years old. And he was doing dives. He took this horrible choke slam from Satnam Singh, but he also got this hot tag and he ran wild. I think he may be the best human ever. There's also this great bit where Darby went for the coffin drop and Jarrett hit him with a guitar. But Alan just popped right up like, yes, right. I've learned from Sting. And eventually, basically, Jay went for the lethal injection. Sting hit him with the death drop instead. Darby Allen came off with the coffin drop. One, two, three. I've definitely not done this one justice because honestly, more for me for moaning about Jeff Jarrett coming back. This was just sports entertainment. And there's nothing wrong with sports entertainment. I'll probably watch it twice, giving it up. I will just let you know now, too, that there was no bad match on this show. Although the next one for the AEW Women's Championship between Tony Storm and Jamie Hayter, well, it was just a little bit special. And the other reason I got into it is that I finally got a prediction right. I said Jamie Hayter would win, and I said Britt Baker would get involved. So I'm hitting a double header. It all really worked too because the crowd was so into Jamie, which pleased me because I was a bit worried a few weeks ago that maybe we had missed the peak. And they still all like Tony Storm too, so this was a win-win. But the way that this all played out, I just thought it was very entertaining. They really did kick each other's ass too because in real life they are good friends. So I bet they went, hey ho, shall we go out there and slap the crap out of each other? And they agreed. And at one point, poor Rita the Ring Post 
And poor Barry Barricade, they just got murked over and over and over again to the point I hope they got double paid. It was then trade-off time with Tony eventually hitting Sweet Chick Music and going for a Tornado DDT. And I love it when Tony Storm hits DDTs now because she does them so much, they've come full circle. I'm like, you damn right you hit another, you're always doing well. It also meant that she must have been winning because this is when Rebel ran down to cause some distraction. And it must have been the plan because Jamie Hayter was like, come over here, referee. When Rebel got the championship and she smacked Tony Storm right in the face. She really got her because Tony was bleeding. The real genius, though, was that Jamie Hayter then hit her lariat. I thought, oh, that's got to be it. It's got to be the one, two, three. But Storm kicked out. And at this juncture, I was like, well, we're clearly not going to change the title, but more for me. This is when the referee told Rebel to get out of here because she was being an idiot. When Tony went for sweet cheek music again, she fell out of the ring because she missed. And she landed on all fours. And given that the title was down there too, Britt Baker then zoomed in. She hit the curb stop in the title. She threw Tony Storm back in there. And once again, we just went into all these near falls, including Tony all of a sudden getting some near falls. I was like, what is happening? Through all this too, Baker was like, right, I'm going to expose the turnbuckle. So Storm grabbed Hater and she threw her into Brit, kind of taking her out. But then there was some charging. Tony Storm went into the exposed buckle. Jamie Hater hit that big lariat. And the referee went one, and the referee went two, and the referee went three. And I kind of sat there in stunned silence, because it finally had happened. So yeah, this was Shenanigan Central, but we didn't do this throughout the pay-per-view, and once again, it provided a great change of pace. Also, Jamie Hayter deserves to be the women's champion, and now the Britt Baker story is looking at her right in the face. So once again, I just had a good time, and those last few minutes, I had no idea what was going to happen. That's when professional wrestling is smashing it. It up. And then my predictions went to shit. Damn it. Because I thought maybe, just maybe, when we got to Swerve and Our Glory versus the Acclaimed for the AEW Tag Team Championships, the reason Swerve and Our Glory would win is because Keith Lee would be all like, hey, Swerve, I know you're a dick now, but I want to be a dick too. Actually, it went the other way with Keith going, no, you're an asshole. I want nothing to do with you anymore. We were also told that Billy Gunn wasn't a ringside because he wasn't able to contain his emotions, so I liked that. And also, we had the storyline that Anthony Bowens had injured his arm on dynamite. That guy also spent the whole week with his arm in a sling, so he's a hero. The acclaim came together early on to try and take out Keith Lee, which was smart because, of course, he is a massive guy. And this is when Swerve kind of surveyed the situation and was like, Haha, I'm going to be an absolute goober again. Because he was going to do something with Barry Barricade when Keith Lee was basically like, Good sir, why do you have to conduct yourself in such dubious ways? Or words to no effect. So we started planning the scene. Strickland said that Lee should go and focus on Anthony Bowens instead, which they did do, because they beat him up for a good old while. When from nowhere, Anthony Bowens got this amazing reverse Hurricane Rana. He made the tag to Max Caster. He absolutely ran wild and he took out Swerve and tried to pick up Keith Lee, but of course he couldn't do it. But instead he hit this second rope Hurricane Rana. And it was at this stage I was like, man, this acclaimed, they just get him better and better. This is especially true because they hit an avalanche famouser. And I was like, I don't think I've ever seen an avalanche famouser. I didn't even know that an avalanche famouser was a thing. So we are living in the crazy time. Bones was then back and tried to kick Swerve through Barry Barricade, but Keith saved him, and so you better remember that. Which is when Max just did this crazy dive onto Keith Lee, and they both went smashing through Baz. So once again, I was like, man, I hope you're getting some extra cash. This left Swerve and Bowens going at it. It was Strickland hitting Anthony with everything, but Bowens kept getting up. 
when all of a sudden Max Castor was able to hit the mic drop, but Keith Lee broke that up at the last second. And the same thing happened to Max Caster when Swerve and Our Glory hit Fall From Glory. So given this was the third time around, they really brought out some good ideas, especially when Billy Gunn decided, I can see what you're doing here, Swerve, and he ran out to try and help. Now you can't blame him because Strickland was all like, oh man, I've got the pliers again. This was pure wrestling. He didn't hit Swerve Strickland and therefore it wasn't a DQ. But it did open the door for Swerve to go up to his partner Keith Lee and say, hey, look what I've got, clank, clank, we should go and use it. Lee once again was all like, friend, please think about these treacherous paths that you walk. And Swerve didn't agree. So he slapped Keith in the face. And I was like, oh man, you shouldn't have done that. What was great though is that Lee just bent down, he helped Anthony Bowens up, and he didn't do anything violent, and he just walked out. Now, nine times out in 10 wrestling, he would have hit a move. But this was so much more powerful, and even though Swerve Strickland tried to survive, the acclaim basically hit their finishing sequence on him. They pinned him. One, two, three. They are still the tag team champions, so I know I said it once, I'm going to say it twice. Given that this was the third match, they put so much thought into it, and it took me on quite the ride. Also very happy that the acclaim are still tag team champions. They're on fire right now, and we get a feud between Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland. And who doesn't want that? I mean, there's one guy going, I didn't want that. Oh, you don't want anything? Give me it up. Which brings us to our main event. And I'm just going to say it. That's right, YouTube. You know, we're like 25 minutes into the video, whatever. I think I've waited long enough. It was f***ing excellent. That's right. And it was just one of those nights where all the crazy things make it so much better. But it was MJF versus John Moxley for the AEW World Championship. And John Moxley was booed and treated like he was the biggest villain on the planet. Subsequently, Maxwell Jacob Freeman was treated like he was the hero of the day. What's this? Just going, ha, 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 ha. Isn't professional wrestling fun? William Regal left early, which is important to note. And at one point, Maxwell pretended he was going to do a die, but was like, nah. When John Moxley started to bite him. Now, of course, the crowd booed this. And later on, when Mox had MGF and an STF, Maxwell bit him. What did the crowd do? Yeah. Make up your mind. Moxley just played so well to the crowd too because he is such a great professional wrestler to the point he even got the title at one stage and lifted it above his head. And because the jeers did rain down, I was like, man, I want to see that John Moxley proper heel turn on a major show. And I know we had that other one in WWE, but that does not count because as we all know, it was terrible and it wasn't his fault. I mean, this was all absolutely off the wall because Friedman... Back drink into Moxley's face at one point. All the fans were like, yeah, yeah, he should have done that. When MGF was also able to hit a tombstone onto the ring apron, but something must have gone wrong there because he tweaked his knee. <laughs> Talking about things going wrong, they then ventured their way back to the ring apron. And do you know what Mox did? He got Maxwell in the power driver position and power drove him through a table. It almost saw Max get counted out, and when he did get back into the ring, he got hit with the paradigm shift, but somehow he kicked out a two. And we were then in full babyface mode, because Jonathan locked in the figure four, and of course Freeman had a bad knee, so he was like, no, no, I won't quit, and he got to the ropes. I was like, I do not know what we're doing here, but something is cooking. MGF then hit the heat seeker for another good near fall, when Moxley chop-blocked his leg and started to rein in the elbows, so he had gone full bad guy. And this resulted... The best part, because John Moxley hit an avalanche paradigm shift. That's right, you heard me. Can't even open my eyes as I poke myself in my seeing device. And the only reason MJF survived this is because his arm 
basically flopped onto the rope. Honestly, that was really, really good. The dynamic then got even more nuts because when they got to their feet, there was a lot of spitting again. And when Moxley charred at MJF, he basically got the ref and used him as a human shield. So the official went down. That allowed him to get the diamond ring and pretend that he was going to use it. This is when Rini and Regal came back and said, no, no, don't do it. So MJF turned around, just flipped him off. This basically served as a distraction though, because Moxley then snuck up behind MJF. He locked on the choke. Another ref was down. Then another ref was knocked out. MJF got out of the choke. Then he was back in the choke. I was just like, ah, I don't know what's going to happen. The main reason we did that, however, was that we could see Maxwell Jacob Friedman visibly tapping out. So he did lose but there was no referee to see it. And this is when Regal was like, Jonathan, Jonathan, you should go revive one of these chaps. When he produced the bass rings, he slipped them to MJF, who gladly took them. He punched John Moxley in the face. Moxley went down. Maxwell pinned him very conveniently. The referee was then ready to count. One, two, three. New AEW World Champion. And this was so well executed, it even got me, and I predicted this was going to happen, and the smirk that Regal gave MJF at the end of this was the best, especially because Tony Schiavone just shouted out, well, that man has sold his soul to the devil. It also meant we went off air with MJF as the new champ, only 26 years old, and this is the kind of chaos, and this is the kind of carnage sometimes you just need in your main event. And sure, it was absolutely sports entertainment, but once again, it's just a journey. It's just a ride, and I had such a good time. Also, Friedman is definitely a heel. Go and watch his comments <laughs> at the post Full Gear press conference. It's one of those days, sadly. You're going to get mad at me. It doesn't just get an up. It gets a golden up. Which does bring us to the end of a very long ups and downs to the point I'm losing my voice, but who cares? Who gives a flub? This was a terrific show, and you could probably go and find some holes in it to give it a down, but it's a positive Pete show, and by the end of it, it just made me love wrestling again, giving it up. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.